For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So, good evening, everyone. Welcome. Hi, Lewis. It's great to see you again. So, um, I want to continue the discussion we started uh, yesterday morning with um, Dale Wright, who was talking about uh, the goddess chapter of the Malakirti Sutra. So, we're in the middle of a practice commitment period, and, and the text we're studying is this, the Malakirti Sutra, the Malakirti being this great, awakened, brilliant layperson who was um, immersed in the world in all kinds of venues, but also uh, brilliantly awakened, and in all contexts, he helped awaken others. So, uh, so we're up to this chapter on the goddess, the goddess of freedom, as Dale called her. Uh, and I just want to con continue the discussion and say a little bit of more about uh, material in the chapter. So um, in some ways, this is a chapter about love. Uh, so... It starts off with Manjushri, the great Bodhisattva of wisdom, and a dialogue between him and Bimalakirti, the great layman of Buddhist time, uh, who was ill, and that's sort of the beginning of the drama of the sutra. Um, so basically, uh, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom, was asked by the Buddha to go and talk and check on Bhavakirti, see how he was. And uh, when he did that, all of the uh, disciples and uh, unusual beings who were in the assembly and the bodhisattvas all wanted to go hear this because they knew it would be a really stimulating discussion. And so, and uh, we've talked about how they all fit into this little room. Hojo, this 10 foot square uh, room. Uh, anyway, all kinds of uh, strange and miraculous things happen during the sutra as Bhimalakirti is expounding on emptiness and also on the inconceivable liberation. So, uh, getting to chapter 7 on the goddess, uh, uh, Manjushri asks, uh, noble sir, when a if a bodhisattva considers all living things as, in, in such a way as empty, as separate, as empty of independent self, how does he generate great love toward them? So, this is maybe the key question: Where does love come from when we realize that everything is ephemeral? that nothing lasts, that all things are not things, but uh, expressions of 
all entities, all events in the whole universe and, and other universes, when we see that, how do we generate great love? So th this is about Mahakaruna, compassion, which is the balance of wisdom. And, and a lot of what happens in the sutra has to do with balancing. Anyway, the Malakirti says, Manjushri, when a bodhisattva considers all living beings in this way, he thinks, just as I have realized the Dharma of reality, so should I teach it to living beings. Thereby, they generate the love that is truly a refuge for all living beings, the love that is peaceful because free of grasping, the love that is not feverish because free of passions, the love that accords with reality because it is equanimous in all times. It's the love that is without conflict because free of the violence of the passions. So he's talking about um, love for all beings, but also this applies to love for particular beings and relationships to um, be free of conflict, to be free of possessiveness, to, to see that all beings are not objects and that, and that actually there's no such thing as an object because everything is a product of everything else. This is another way of talking about emptiness. So this is, this is uh, and they, they go on in this dialogue, so I'm not going to go through the whole chapter and, and uh, you can listen to uh, Dale's wonderful talk from yesterday morning. But I want to get to the uh, main figure of this chapter. Uh, so after this long dialogue between Malakirti and Manjushri, and uh, part of this, this, uh, this dialogue, just to say a little bit, um, what the Manjushri asks, what is the root of good and evil? And in, the, in Thurman's translation, the Malakirti says, materiality is the root of good and evil. We could see that as acquisitiveness, as consumerism, as um, being obsessed by things. And uh, a little later, They talk, he talks about, uh, Manjushri asks about unreal construction, which Jamal Kirti says is, comes from false concepts. And, and what is the root of false concept? And to use Watts, Burton Watson's translation, boundless assumptions. So how do we get beyond our assumptions about who we are and what the world is and who other beings are? So, uh, of course, we all, as living beings, have various assumptions that we've made in order to um, arrive here tonight, whether you're coming from Los Angeles, like in Mina, or, um, or people in this room. Uh, we have assumptions, but how do we get rid of uh, false assumptions? At any rate, there's, they're having this wonderful dialogue, and then... Thereupon, a certain goddess who lived in that house, having heard this 
teaching of the Dharma, of the great heroes, heroic bodhisattvas, and being delighted, pleased, and overjoyed, manifested herself in a material body and showered the great spiritual heroes, bodhisattvas, and great disciples with heavenly flowers. So we've offered flowers to the Buddhas tonight, as well as incense and light. And there's a whole there's a whole situation that develops about the flowers between the disciples and the bodhisattvas that Dale covered pretty well yesterday. I want to jump to in this discussion, uh, Shariputra, who's was one of the ten great disciples of the Buddha. He was an historical figure. Uh, the Malakirti, we don't know, maybe was based on some historical figure, but is thought of as more uh, mythical, which is not to say unreal. Um, uh, gets into a discussion with Shariputra, who is uh, upset about flowers on his monastic robes. He's uh, very uh, attached to the rules of purity. He wants to be perfect and pure. Um, does not realize that as, as living beings, we all ah, have greed, hate, delusion, and assumptions, and so forth. Um, so the, the goddess challenges him on this. And, uh, you know, one thing about this goddess, Dale mentioned yesterday that it's, she's not an ordinary human woman, the way it, it's written in this sutra, she's a goddess, a sort of above, you know, sort of superhuman in some ways. Um, and um, women scholars of Buddhism have pointed out that she doesn't have a name. She's never named in the chapter of the, of the sutra. Um, so, uh, this has to do with the culture in which this sutra was written and the times that that uh, they were in. There's a similar or a related story in the Lotus Sutra about the Dharma king's daughter. And she's really um, quite amazing, the Dharma king's daughter, as is the Malakirti's goddess friend. She says she's been living there with Malakirti for 12 years. The Dragon King's daughter in the Lotus Sutra appears and demonstrates quickly becoming a Buddha. And this is shocking to the uh, assembly in the Lotus Sutra, just as the goddess is shocking to Shariputra, because, um, well, she's not quite human. Uh, she's a dragon, a dragon princess. Also, um, maybe even more, she becomes a Buddha quickly, like this. Like we say that all of us, all of you are Buddhas. We don't necessarily realize it or, or have it developed, but anyway. Uh, the Dragon King's daughter also is not given a name in the Lotus Sutra, as women's Buddhist scholars have pointed out. So this is why I wanted us to chat the names of the women ancestors tonight. 
because all through Buddhism and Buddhist history, there have been great women. So all of the names that we chanted tonight from India, China, Japan, the West, are, are historical people, historical women who were, uh, in some cases, notable, uh, recognized as teachers, but also known as, uh, even if they were not formally teachers, they were all great, great practitioners and great inspirations. Many of them were, were formal Dharma teachers. And there's so we can talk about who they were. Great teacher Ryonin was a great disciple of Dogen. She was, uh, she maybe didn't go to Haiti, but she was quite wonderful, as Dogen says. And in the amongst the later teachers, there's several who I knew myself. Great teacher Kasa Joshin was a sewing teacher who helped spread the sewing of Roxas and Ocasas to America. Great teacher Baiho Session is Trudy Dixon, who, uh, th thanks to whom we have Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, because she uh, transcribed all those talks that Suki Roshi gave. Great teacher Myon Stewart uh, uh, was a, uh, the teacher in Cambridge. She was um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. She was quite wonderful. I had Dokson with her once, um, and, you know, sitting all day sitting with her. Um, she was also a, a concert pianist. Uh, great teacher Jishu Angyo was uh, married to Bernie Glassman and died early. Great teacher Shunpro Senke. is the last one we read. Her name in English was Blanchard, and she was my Shiso teacher. So, you can look on the Ancient Dragon website. Um, uh, there is a, is a description of each of these women. So these were historical women. Uh, the, the Dragon King's daughter in the Lotus Sutra uh, is uh, a special being. And the goddess, the Mahakirti's goddess friend, uh, is also a special being. And because of patriarchy, uh, they don't have their names. So uh, there's a lot here for, that's relevant to us, as Dan was saying. Uh, of course, we still have patriarchy and, and great uh, persecution of women now in our culture uh, by some politicians. Anyway, I want to. I'll just. I'll come back to that. But I want to say a little more about this dramatic event that happens next in the goddess chapter. So, start this. Uh, well, there's one thing I want to go back to. Again, this is part of the goddess, uh, goddesses uh, uh, challenging Shariputra. Uh, uh, and she asks, uh, 
Shariputra what his what his uh, practice is, and uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she's but she says he says to being free of greed, hate, and delusion, basically. Yeah, this is this is a, a little further in this. Um, the goddess says, liberation is freedom from desire, hatred, and folly, uh, which is what Shariputra says. And the goddess says to him, that's the teaching for the excessively proud or for the arrogant. Those free of pride are taught that the very nature of desire, hatred, and folly, greed, hate, and delusion, is itself liberation. So this is a key point of this sutra, uh, that, uh, that we do not try and crush and destroy and get rid of all greed, hate, and delusion. We see through it, or we cut through it, as our, as our Bodhisattva Bao translation says now. But to think that we have gotten free from greed, desire, from hatred, from folly, uh, that's, as, as and Dale talked about this too yesterday, that's kind of arrogance. The Bodhisattva knows that they live in middle of this world of desire, of grasping, of anger, of foolishness. The goddess says, whoever thinks I have, I have attained, I have realized, is overly proud in the discipline of the well-taught dharma. So our practice is not about getting rid of delusion. Dogen says this quite a lot too. Our practice is to be aware and awake in the middle of delusion. To be free of obsessing about greed, hate, and delusion. To be free from being caught by them or acting on them. But it doesn't mean that our ancient twisted karma goes away. At any rate, uh, thereafter, uh, and after further discussion, Shariputra is, is very impressed with the goddess, of course. And he asks her uh, how long she's been here with the Malakirti. She says, I have been in this house for 10, 12 years, and I have heard no discourse concerning the disciples and solitary sages uh, who try and get rid of we hate delusion, but I've heard only those concerning the great love, the great compassion, and the inconceivable qualities of Buddha. So they, this dialogue goes on, and then at some point, uh, Shariputra is so impressed with her that he says to the goddess, this strange thing. What prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state and becoming a man? <laughs> because in early Buddhism, they thought that only men could become Buddha. There was that idea in that culture. 
And the goddess says, although I have sought my female state for these 12 years, I have not yet found it. Right? Reverend Sharaputra, if a magician were to incarnate a woman by magic, would you ask her what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? And Sharaputra says, no, such a woman would not really exist. So what would there be to transform? Just so, Reverend Sharaputra says the goddess, all things do not really exist as, as separate entities. Now, would you think what prevents one whose nature is that of a magical incarnation from transforming herself out of her female state? And thereupon, this amazing um, event happens. This, uh, the, the goddess employed her magical power to cause the elder Shariputra to appear in to appear in her form and to cause herself to appear in his form. So there's this kind of double sex change operation. Uh, it's uh, this amazing event, and the goddess says to Shariputra, um, who's now a woman transformed into the into her body. Reverend Shariputra, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? <laughs> and Shariputra has been trying to be this pure monk his whole, his whole uh, monastic career is uh, <laughs> full of consternation. He says, I no longer appear in the form of a male. My body has changed into the body of a woman. I do not know what to transform. Anyway, <laughs> something like that. Um, the goddess says, if the elder could again change out of the female form, then all women could change out of the female state. Um, so, uh, uh, finally, she says, the Buddha has said, all, in all things, there is neither male nor female. So, um, this is amazing being written about 2,000 years ago in terms of our awareness in our culture of, uh, well, gender fluidity of the uh, possibilities of not holding on to some vision of male, some vision of female, the stereotypes that I grew up in with you know John Wayne is the ultimate male and Marilyn Monroe is the ultimate female and anything else is <laughs> anyway. Um, so this is uh, this is something for us to consider. How is it that things are not what we assume they are? Even gender, which is you know a difficult topic, and it's a major topic in our political world now, as politicians expressing fascist views are persecuting women, persecuting trans people, and persecuting, uh, trying to persecute LGBT people. So I appreciate this goddess and this, and this demonstration she makes to cut through our assumptions about dualities like male and female. Uh, just the, the closing thing in the chapter, and then I want to open this for discussion. Um, after after uh, the, the goddess 
transforms Shariputra back to his male form, and she becomes a goddess again. Um, uh, the Malakirti uh, at the end has the last word. He tells Shariputra, Reverend Shariputra, this goddess has already served 92 million billion Buddhas. She plays with the supernologies. She has truly succeeded in all her vows. She has gained the tolerance of the birthlessness of things. So I've mentioned this a couple of times in regard to the sutra. It's one of the key, another of the key teachings of the sutra. And I love saying the Sanskrit name for it, Anakpanaka Dharmakshanti. It means patience with the, or tolerance with the birthlessness or ungraspability of things, of dharmas. So um, all of the things that we think are things, all of the things that we have ideas about and views about and think we know what they are, uh, are not necessarily so. Uh, this is one of the key teachings, to not see things as, or people or animals or, or lakes <laughs> as objects. So uh, here the goddess has demonstrated the application of this to gender for Shariputra. So there's a lot to uh, think about that. This is uh, not the only, but one of the dramatic chapters in this sutra. Um, comments, questions, responses. Anybody? A couple of quick uh, comments. Um, I, I had to have a kind of smile inwardly when I heard uh, 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 your quote from Vilma um, Khatri. Am I pronouncing it right? Vimalakirti. Vimalakirti. I'll, I'll get it. Uh, where, where he said um, something on the order of, of uh, 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 love of, of money is the root of all evil or, or something like that. And it reminded me of the Old Testament quote uh, where, where uh, not, it's often misquoted as saying money is the root of all evil, but it's actually love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Attach, right. Attachment to money is the root of all evil. And uh, I had a kind of a uh, um, smile at that. The different cultures, different uh, traditions can come to the same conclusions. Uh, as far as uh, gender roles, um, you know, one of the, one of the uh, most skillful um, practitioners of cutting through delusions was uh, William Shakespeare. Uh, he was always having uh, uh, his characters, uh, the men, not so much uh, the, the fellows dressed as women, but, uh, well, no, he did, he did some of that too, but men would dress as women, women dressed as men, and they would get over in a situation understanding that the delusions, the assumptions that people would have and, and kind of playing with them. So, uh, and uh, this was you know, centuries ago and he was already kind of seeing through all the, all the, the bull crap. So. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yes, the comparison with Shakespeare some of his comedies is, is very apt. And uh, yeah, and, and what you said about the, uh, you said the attachment to money or the grasping at money. I forget what, yeah. Um, and that's the point with all of this. It's when we get caught by our grasping or our anger, confusion, 
is when we get attached to um, or compulsive about some object of desire rather than just expressing desire without without holding on, without uh, attachments. This is subtle, not being caught by grasping or anger or confusion. And money is neither good nor bad. It's, it's a medium of exchange. It's a, it's a concept. Uh, but our attachments to it are, are, are fierce and complicated and, and um, uh, difficult, difficult to cut through. Yeah, and then those with lots of money, the billionaires, seem to never have enough. They need more and more and more from all the rest of us. So, yes. Thank you, Jim. Other comments, reflections, questions? When was this? We don't know exactly when it was written. The, 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 the actual scenes from the, from Vimalakirti and Manjushri are supposed to be happening at the time of Buddha, 2,500 years ago, more or less. So, uh, uh, but it's about Mahayana. So, is it, is it like more likely something written after that? Yeah. So, it was probably compiled uh, in the first century or two of the common era. We don't know exactly. Yeah. The history of these things is not clear. That kind of renaissance of the attitudes and philosophy is kind of similar to the Old Testament, New Testament, not from Old Testament, New Testament it again, but yeah, it's kind of that emphasis on pure, that, you know, like scaling back the purity and the, um, if, you know, the, the less honorable person or whatever. Yes. So um, the Mahayana developed out of the wonderful Theravada teachings, but emphasized, as this chapter does, love and compassion. So the wisdom teachings were there before. And actually, you know, there were the compassion teachings too, but the emphasis on uh, skillful liberative technique, as the, as the sutra says, how to help beings and share their love. Excellent. Yes, wait. I'm David Ray. Has this hand up? Oh, hey, David. Hi, Tigan. Thank you very much for that talk. Um, Shariputra's question about uh, how to generate the the great love, the great loving kindness, the Mahamaitri, the Mahameta, struck me tonight as really, really a weird question. Because now that I think about it, I mean, what else? What else would somebody feel? love and compassion toward, if not the ephemeral, impure, passing, <laughs> of contingent uh, nature of, of being. So is it, is it that, I, I guess, I guess it's, you know, it's not hard to understand the, the, the thing on the other side, the great, the great love for purity, the great desire for purity. But, but that's, the, that, that question is weird to me tonight, all of a sudden. So I wonder if you might say more about it. Well, this the whole issue of we can talk about it in terms of impermanence or inconceivability or just um, the ungraspability of things. Uh, 
it's possible that in a world where you can't get a hold of anything, some people might want to get a hold more and more and more and more, or you know, possess other people in various ways, uh, slavery and relationships, you know. But um, the question actually shows that Shariputra is deeper than we might consider him. He's asking more. How do we generate love? How do we generate compassion? So, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say exactly. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, how do you turn from competition to cooperation, from do unto others before they do unto you to, you know, everybody is connected with everybody else. We're all part of the same in the same situation in some way. We each have a particular expressions and forms of that. But how do we care for all beings and for particular beings? That's a real question. And, and Malakirti's skillful liberative technique is easy to say, but how do we actually act in a way that is helpful. This is, you know, the key practice issue. What do we, how do we function? What do we each do in the world that is helpful to beings and to particular beings and to ourselves? Many people these days have great difficulty with that. And it's not about getting some answer to that either. It's about just patiently paying attention and seeing what can we do to be helpful, to be kind, to be caring, to love. Other comments or questions or reflections? How do you, how do you respond? Uh, Ken, did you have your hand up? Oh, it's uh, it was, anyway. No, I don't believe you did. Yeah, I mean, this, this uh, startling event, uh, what responses do we have to the goddesses uh, transforming Sharigutra in those ways? Poor Shariputra. Yeah. <laughs> Did he deserve that? Poor Shariputra. Yeah. He's trying to follow the monastic way. He's trying to be a good monk. He's, he's trying to, you know, he, that, this is, as Lewis was saying, this is a kind of hinge in history here. This is a place where the traditional, the old traditional Buddhist teachings, which are wonderful, um, Something's new, something new's coming. What's, and this is called the Bodhisattva way. And so, yeah, Oshariputra, he's stuck in a, he's like a, like I sometimes feel being a 20th century person in the 21st century. <laughs> Everything has changed. <laughs> it's, it's hard when your worldview gets picked up and 
shaken all over and sat down <laughs> upside down. And, yeah. Um, and that can, that can be really tough for people and they react in ways that are not as kind as how Shari Kutcher reacted. That's right. So, that's some of what we're seeing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good way of sympathizing with the people who are, um, actually causing harm. They're upset because their worldview has, they're scared. Their, their worldview has been shaken up. And, uh, so that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop the harm that is happening, but it's not about, you know, shaming the bad people because they're just caught in their old worldview. It's, so it's, yeah, thank you for speaking up for Boshari Butcher. It's not about malice. Yeah. Right? They're not acting out of malice. Yeah, and we... Even if it is harmful. Even, even if it looks like malice, it's because of their fear and because their world has been turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Other comments? Maybe not to sound like Hallmark cards, but maybe maybe our, our job is to console them. Uh, let, let them know it's, it's not that bad as it might seem. So this is a this is a skillful liberative technique question, and um, I heard a wonderful uh, talk this morning from Rebecca Solnit, who uh, spoke of an ancient dragon some time ago about climate, and she was emphasizing that despair is not realistic or helpful. That change is happening and is possible, but. Um, I've tempted to be to want to preach to the choir because to encourage us to make the changes that we need to make seems more possible than to try and convert people who are caught up in views that are not helpful. Um, so that, that's a practical question. But just, just a, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Uh, real, real quick. I keep thinking about this as a exemplar, um, the coal miners in West Virginia, uh, we all know that we have to get, we, we have to stop burning carbon. There's no other way. We, we've got to do it. But right. this folks in, in this region um, have had a, a, a tradition going back decades on, on a century or more of, 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 uh, of, of, coal, of mining coal, mainly coal, that's their and, right. And, and and this is this is uh, part of their not only their their sustenance but their their bloodline. And we don't always uh, you know, I keep thinking of poor Harry Clinton who said we're going to get rid of all the coal mines and you know institute um, solar panels. I know what she meant, but I, I I can't help but think how that sounded to the to the guys in West Virginia. I mean, it, so it, it, what we need to do, what skillful liberative technique is in that case, and it's a good example, is to really focus on uh, helping retrain and re-educate coal miners to help with the work that needs to be done to uh, install solar panels, to do to do the kind of uh, reconfiguration our whole social norm towards um, 
renewable energies sources. And, and, and explain the situation to them and, and give them a reason to be proud of, of this new new role in society. And give them give them training to actually be able to support their, their families in this way. That's that's the that's the extent that's an example of the extent of the change that has to happen in this decade really to prevent uh, the worst the worst of the uh, effects of climate. So yeah. And change is difficult. Wow. It's just difficult. You know, I mean, in some ways it seems like, well, we can talk about all kinds of social examples. It seems like things haven't changed so much since Dr. King and the civil rights movement in the early 60s. And of course they have, but there's still persecution. There's, there's these two young Tennessee legislators who were expelled for being black and for caring about gun victims, you know, uh, how to change hearts and minds. That's our job. And it's and it happens over time. Anyway, um, Douglas, you had something you wanted to ask, and then Gersh. Yeah, I wanted to point out that that the goddesses trans making Shariputra appear as a goddess himself with the magic trick. It doesn't say that he switched bodies, it says he appears like the goddess. Right. It's part of a theme, his skillful means where she says, well, and oh, but without saying it, she's making the point that, oh, and by the way, this image you have of yourself is also a magic trick. It's an illusion that your own mind is made up. And it's a theme that in any number of places across the Sutra of Yamamakuki makes when he's speaking to Yahats and the Bodhisattvas and so on, that, that uh, you think that your body is, forms itself. And so you have this concept that creates this sense of a stable, separate, uh, independent self. Right. And so you perceive it when you look at yourself, when you look at other people too. But that's just a meditation. And he uses any number of, metaphor, of metaphors from magic trick to uh, mirage and things like that, never saying there's nothing there. But the way you perceive it is an illusion that you have projected upon what's really there. And um, so I, I think Shari Kutcher has missed this, but the goddess gave him a shot, the chance to understand. Yes. Yes, we all appear as men or women. But what does that mean? You know, and we're understanding in our culture now that the traditional, you know, that what that means is not necessarily what the traditional stereotypes uh, meant. Women can vote now. That wasn't true in Shakespeare's time or in Thomas Jefferson's time or whatever. Uh, who, what we think men are, what we think women are, is just these, these assumptions So, or these mirages. Gershon, you were going to say something. Uh, yes. I just wanted to point out that it's not just the coal miners that need to change, that we, most of us probably drove our cars here and drove our cars all around and do a lot of carbon emissions. And so we need to, we need to um, make our own hard choices as well. Um, and it's easy to look and see what other people should do. Right. And right. that's how easy. 
We're all part of this. That's right. We, we, uh, yes. And yet, think that things happen. Like I was also saying this morning that uh, the Biden government is proposing massive changes in the, number, the percentage of electric cars and trucks over the next whatever ten years. So um, it's it's not that each of us is responsible and part of the situation. And it's not that we can just, per, in terms of our personal, uh, we, we can all make personal choices about all these things, but it takes, uh, takes a village, it takes a, it takes, uh, there are systems that also apply, both. So, 